1: Good afternoon, happy Monday, one and all. Jimmy Sangenberger back in the saddle, 3 to 4 p.m. all this week. Once again, News Talk 710-KNUS, great to be with you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and you're revved up and ready to go for the week. We don't have much time, though, before Christmas kicks in. If you can believe it, I'm just like, wow, wow. Where is the time gone and how is Christmas now? Less than a month away. Our telephone number, if you want to join into the festivities, a little later in the hour, 303 696 1971. You can also text in on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to text in, please. And of course, Couple of ways to get in touch with yours truly 247-365. One, well, by via email, that is, and that would be 710KNUS.com. Go to the Jimmy Sangenberger show page. Of course, for over ten years, I've hosted the Jimmy Sangenberger show every Saturday morning from six to nine here on 710KNUS. And then, of course, there's my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So we have a lot that we will be getting into today, including Elon Musk making a trip to Israel and spending some time with Prime Minister B.B. Netanyahu in what was, um, I don't know, it seems like it was damage control, but it also went pretty well. We'll talk about that coming up a little later on, as well as a question we'll posit here in just a bit as well to our guest for today's show, syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete, who is the host of the podcast Ruben in the Center. We'll get to the topic of the GOP field are we destined to have the rematch that almost nobody wants? That's a curious question. Carl Rove has some insights as to how there could be a real horse race to come. But let's welcome our guest, Ruben Navarrete, this afternoon joining us on the program. My friend, belated happy Thanksgiving and welcome back.
2: Jimmy, great to be with you. Thanks.
1: Uh, Thanks for joining us always. Hey, I want to ask you first, first, congratulations on 35 years of journalism getting paid to write. It is a wonderful profession, especially as I've gotten more and more into the writing phase of my media career the past few years. I've really enjoyed it. So congrats to you. And what are you feeling now, 35 years in?
2: Well, no, I appreciate that. You know, it's much different now than when I started, obviously. You know, back then, I was sending in my op-eds to the LA Times where I was a freelancer. In my early 20s, via fax machine, I have to tell what tell my kids what a fax machine is. <laughs> uh, you know, I it was before email, and uh, the country was a lot less polarized, and things worked, and you still had the the relationship between like a Tip O'Neill and a Ronald Reagan, which had just happened a few years earlier. Um, also, you know, the media world was a lot more siloed in another way, Jimmy, and that's that there were the radio folks, there were the TV folks, and there were the print folks. And, and in small towns, uh, like I consider my hometown of Fresno about 600,000 people now, a small town, and you'd have these this tribal warfare between the local big, you know, AM station and the newspaper and the television network and all this. And today now, when you go forward, coming out of journalism school, you really have to be fluent in everything. You have to be uh, good at writing, good on radio, good in, in front of audiences, good on, on camera. You know that as well. And that certainly wasn't the case back then. Back then, you could have a really productive, fruitful career just doing one thing. Uh, and now you much, you have to be a jack-of-all-trades and be able to, to uh, be fluent in various media. But it's a, it's a lot more difficult a job than I ever expected it would be because uh, just staying on top of things, it's much more difficult today in 2023. To stay current, as you know. Oh, yeah. The world is coming into the palm of your hand, into your phone. And the very fact that you could write an, a column and it would be, you know, overrun by events. You yeah. have to be aware of the events. And so I, I almost spend half my time just doing research, uh, listening to podcasts, listening to talk radio, watching television news, reading columns. And, and that's even before I can open my mouth and, and
1: know what to say. So. Wow. And, so, and one of the it, fascinating it goes, things, yeah. if I could jump in and say, one, of, you mentioned yeah. how we have this fast-paced media environment where the news just constantly is changing. You can publish a column and then almost immediately – Oh, it is out of date. Or you're hosting radio, there's breaking news, you're covering it in the moment, people want it. But then there's this thing called a podcast, which you didn't really have 30 years ago, that people could just readily access. And yet, why does somebody go to a podcast for a current events breaking news from three days ago, versus say they want to hear what Ruben Navarrete had to say about some bigger picture topics that maybe are going to last a little longer than a day or two?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, and now you much have much more direct to consumer products. You have Substack, uh, which allows you to create a column or a newsletter that goes directly to people uh, in circum- You know, you really kind of are circumventing the traditional uh, model. When you set in front of a microphone, you're making a deal with the radio station. And basically they're going to pay you a, a, a stipend or a salary. You're going to speak into the microphone. It's going to go out to consumers via radio. You're going to have a sales apparatus, et cetera. The very fact that you could create a podcast that would speak directly to people and basically cut the radio stations out of the equation, or in my case, you could write a column directly to your inbox that cuts the newspapers out of the equation, that was radical thinking 35 years ago. Uh, So it's become much more uh, direct to consumer uh, in in this world, and uh, it's, it's an interesting time. Anyone who says that there's no future in media doesn't understand media, because yes, the traditional media is on the ropes. Uh, traditional radio stations are struggling, but not podcasts. And the traditional televisions uh, might struggle, but not YouTube channels and other video products. Uh, and certainly newspapers might struggle, but you have Substack and other, you have the very Weiss phenomenon of creating a, yeah. a whole journalistic enterprise called the free press. It's amazing. Uh, chaos brings opportunity. It's Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing as plenty of
1: opportunity. Briefly, Ruben Navarrete, our guest, one of the things that comes to my mind is I hear you talk about you can go straight to your inbox, you can cut out the middleman. At the same time, one of the things that, say, being on this radio station does for a guy like me is it provides an opportunity to access an audience and to have that institutional credibility versus, say, if somebody – they can read your columns that are syndicated and do get published in the Gazette, by the way, but if you – have your newsletter they got to go sign up or if they have the podcast they got to go check out the podcast sometimes podcast networks can help but a lot of of folks these days go to amazon i'm one of the few who actually goes to amazon for things because i have amazon music but you can go to spotify and iheart and apple and all these different places and you have such a massive array of podcasts to choose from so breaking out into a market or getting that exposure becomes more difficult, in a sense, if you are, and it also silos out so that you have an audience that is maybe a little more niche than a broader array of folks that might say, read yours or my columns in the Denver Gazette or hear us on 710-K in U.S.
2: Yeah, it's a mixed bag, right? I mean, I'm just speaking for newspapers, the, the industry I know best, You know, in 35 years of writing for newspapers. Um, the, the trade-off is, you're right, I mean, you, you, you've you joined this apparatus. They pay you well. They, um, you know, you have your benefits covered, supporting your family. You work in a newspaper. When you go to a dinner party, you say you work at a newspaper. Everybody understands what that means. Um, But the other part of it is you also are part of this corporate culture and it's not unheard of to have your bosses sit on your throat, sit on your chest, tell you what to write, tell you what not to write. Um, I remember after nine 11, I I was working at the Dallas morning news on nine 11. And uh, never was there so much care and paranoia sent into that editorial, the editorial that was going to run the next day on September 12th. And the old joke in newspapers is a camel is a horse built by committee. So imagine all these fingers in the pie, all these people, me included, others changing graphs, getting it just perfect. And ultimately, I got to say, creating an editorial that was not very memorable and not very good because it didn't say a damn thing, okay? And the next day at the Washington Post, they had an editorial, and on September 12th, it had a one-word headline. And the one-word headline on the Washington Post editorial was war, simply that, war. And so it's a trade-off, right? I liked being a full-time newspaper employee, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I was never subjected to pressure or censorship or people trying to tell me what to say. I got called in the principal's office. It happened on radio, too. (laughs) It's a trade-off, you know. Uh, if I work for a radio station, if I Radio was paying me, then I wasn't able to just pipe off and say what I wanted to say. It, was, it wasn't my airwaves, it was hmm. theirs. Uh,
1: it is interesting to think about that and the difference of breaking out onto your own versus being under an umbrella in that regard. Ruben Navarrete, syndicated columnist, our guest. Before we get to the politics of it all, I want to ask you something about something interesting That I read on your Facebook page, and it's you were responding to a comment that had been provided from an editor expressing concern about one of your columns, and you didn't make changes to it. Well, you said these words, and I found it fascinating because we have a little bit of a different philosophy to an extent, but we'll see how different. I'm not in the persuasion business, you write, that you told the editor. Because I'm not a trial lawyer, I'm a columnist, and my only goal is to get people to THINK, all caps... How they think and what they think that's entirely up to them, that has always been my policy. And then you say that it's the secret to stay syndicated for 23 years. And by the way, congrats on that as well. Okay, so why dismiss persuasion? Are you not in any way, shape, or form trying to persuade your reader? Or what are you trying to do with this getting them to think concept, Ruben? Daring to get them to think.
2: Yeah, that's all I want them to do is I want them to think I don't care what they think. I think if you could put your finger on one of the ways that the media has gone astray, particularly the liberal media has gone astray, it's that we spend too much time trying to tell people what to think, to get them to believe a certain thing, to be more enlightened, to be more progressive, to be whatever. Uh, And I don't believe that. I, I, I just want you to think. I'm not here to tell you what to think. If you think through the process of a choice between Biden and Trump and you think the better choice is Trump, God bless you. If you think the better choice is Biden, God bless you. I don't have a stake in this. I don't get a, a kickback from the Democrat or Republican Party. I don't have a, unlike a lot of journalists, I don't care what Christmas parties I get invited to. I don't care if I tick off the White House. I haven't been invited to a Christmas party at the White House for, you know, 15, 20 years. Because uh, if you're doing your job correctly, ultimately you're not trying to persuade people to a given point of view. Uh, I just want you to, to think things through. And what the light bulb really went on for me, Jimmy, is, Years ago, I was writing a column about immigration, I think, and somebody wrote me a note and said, you know what? I'm really not persuaded. Uh, I'm not persuaded. Try again. And then I thought to myself, you know, you don't have this right, reader. I don't work for you. You know, I'm not – you're not the boss of me. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to persuade you. That gives you all the power. You're the one reading my column. You're the one writing to me. I didn't write to you. You know, obviously, this power dynamic is I'm the one with the power. I'm not going to relinquish it to you. Uh, because all of a sudden I have to persuade you of a given outcome. Now, I've written editorials as well, and the Gazette and other newspapers have an editorial page. And I will say that when I was paid to write editorials at the Dallas Morning News and the San Diego Union Tribune, yeah, they paid you to be persuasive. I have to write an editorial that persuades the mayor to fill a pothole, okay? Well, great, you can be persuasive, but in terms of being a columnist, I'm sorry, my favorite columnist, whether it's Marine Dowd or Peggy Noonan, or whoever it was in the old school way of, of Bill Sapphire, whoever it was was your favorite columnist, go back and read that column. I dare you to find any persuasion in it. Bill Sapphire didn't care if I agreed with
1: him or not. Yeah. He didn't have a stake in that Ruben, he wanted to tell me what he thought. You you are making me think a little bit more about how I approach my column writing, particularly because I always go into a column envisioning that when I write for the Gazette. of my audience is not conservative. And so it puts me in. I have no idea whether that's true or not. I have no clue. But I put it into that into my mindset because I come from a talk radio background where it is a sort of. Uh, you know, it is a conservative sphere of influence, more of a conservative echo chamber, oftentimes. Although I have to say, not necessarily these days, especially where we have disagreements among listeners and hosts on a variety of different issues or certain political figures, but you're still you still know that your audience was from a center-right persuasion. So when I'm going into a column, I have that in mind because I want my language to capture the widest net. And my number one goal, as you're describing your approach, is to get people to think and to inform them about something, especially since I do a lot of reporting columns that will expose things that as others in the media aren't exposing and then offer commentary and perspective on it. But I want them to think about what I've got and hopefully use persuasive language so that they will at least recognize, okay, there's some veracity to this. There's some meat on the bones, something worth looking into. And if I don't bring them all the way, if I'm at least getting them to consider my viewpoint or to think, you know what, he's got something there, then to me that at least gets me – in that direction, is there some synergy between my approach and yours?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I, here's why. Ultimately, I think one of the things that that ensures a short career as a writer, as opposed to a long one, is people don't know how to stay in their lane. Uh, journalists who really secretly wanted to run for mayor or city council, or if you're Pat Buchanan, you're a, a really superb columnist who decides to run for president, right? So hat needs to choose. Are you going to be president? Are you going to be a columnist? And I think that one of the things I run across quite a bit, and I always get on a beef with Tom Friedman about this, you know, I've mentioned probably this on your show before. If you want to make, you know, if you want to be the the czar for climate change, or if you want to make Middle East policy, then become Secretary of State. Give up your column at the New York Times. It is wrong, it is deceitful, it is dishonest to use your, your pulpit at the New York Times, this column, to try to make policy. Uh, And so I get nervous when I see a columnist who really is trying to be elected mayor Mm. or trying to be secretary of state or trying to make policy or trying to do this or that. You have a really simple job. I want you as a columnist to take – and I don't just mean you, Jimmy. I mean any columnist, but it can apply to you. I want you to take a complicated world and make it simple, and I want you to explain this to your reader. Yes. And I want you to inform your readers. But you need to divorce yourself of your own politics because you're not here to win a case. You're not here to argue a case on a, for a tobacco company or not a trial lawyer. Hmm. And it really shouldn't matter to you where your reader comes down. If you're a conservative and you feel like you have something to prove to liberals, good luck with that because I got news for you. Most liberals I know are closed-minded yes.
1: people. Oh, I agree.
2: That. They will not I, I, ever I, I, give you I, the Ruben, time of day, and you're I, never going to move them.
1: I will say yes, that's so true. Don't waste your time. Although I think that— what I'm thinking of is a lot of folks, I believe, everyday people tend to be more middle of the road. And so a lot of cases I'm exposing things going on in the Denver School Board or exposing things that are happening at the state legislature and what have you and trying to say more. This is an important story worth following. And I think that is a big role of a journalist, especially if you are highlighting things that others are not is to say this is something that matters and at least convince the reader that it's worth reading and worth thinking about. And, uh, you know, I I think that's good. I think that's good. You can teach them to think. But
2: again, I like it when I get mail from people who say I've been reading you for many years and you've changed my thinking on something. But my goal wasn't to change the thinking. It was, it just happened as a consequence because they've been reading me for so long. Yeah. The offending column, in, in, in fact, was over... You know, if I want to write a column saying that anti Semitism is on the rise since October 7th, I don't feel like I have to make insert any language in there to also say, oh, and by the way, Islamophobia is also bad. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I think, I think that's ridiculous. No, I think that's I, ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I wrote, after 9 11, I wrote columns saying that Islamophobia was bad. I didn't have an editor whispering in my ear saying, oh, and don't forget to mention anti Semitism is also bad. Right. We're not doing, I'm mean, talking about the State Department, okay? We're not. This is not. The, I'm not a Secretary of State. I'm not trying to be diplomatic. I'm just trying to tell the world what I no. think and get them to think. And you can't I argue agree. with success. Thirty-five years going strong. Yeah, I got to be doing this right. No, I think a lot of other people are doing it wrong.
1: Absolutely. No. I, so it's fascinating to me because I'm sort of workshopping this. You said something in your post where I'm like, hmm. How would, What does he mean, and how do I approach things? So I hope folks listening are finding it as fascinating as I am. Can you stick around a few more minutes uh, yeah, to talk about the presidential race? Let's pick it up on the other side. Syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete joining us from California today. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. Denver, Colorado. News Talk 710 KNUS. Welcome back. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you on a Monday afternoon, 710 KNUS. Our guest syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete is really getting me thinking as we continue, which is his journalistic goal and has been for 35 years. Uh, Ruben, I want to get your commentary On the presidential race, I got a couple clips to field your reactions to, but on your Ruben substack, Ruben Navarrete Navarrete Nation substack, you have a piece out today about the evil of two lessers. Here comes the rematch no one is demanding. Is it really the rematch no one is demanding? Why? How could you say that? (laughs)
2: <laughs> because the Trump people don't have any respect for Biden and the Biden people don't have any respect for Trump. And there was a story in the New York times recently about how even in this divided country of ours, the one thing people seem to agree on according to all the polls is they wish they had more choices. They can't believe that in a country of over 330 million people, we're about to get a rematch. Only the second rematch in us history. The first one, uh, some of your readers may remember was in 1956. When uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower ran for the second time against Adlai Stevenson, and the very fact that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party don't have anybody else to put up, other than the same two people who ran in 2020, a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats are just disgusted by that. And if it comes down to Biden versus Trump Part Two, you're not going to see a lot of excitement. You probably will see some third-party defections and some folks in both parties who just shrug and stay home.
1: Count me among them. I I do not want to see this matchup again of Trump v. Biden. uh, Far from alone. And I look at it and I think, okay, how did we get to this point? So from your analytical mind and critical thinking mind, Ruben, how did we get to this point where it looks likely, although we'll get to that piece in a moment, to be Biden-Trump again? Well, break it into two
2: pieces. In terms of Biden, how Biden became the nominee or is on his way to get, getting the nomination, despite the fact that he has terribly low approval ratings in the high 30s, um, he's 81 years old, he's gonna be the oldest person ever run for a reelection for president. Uh, and, and 70% of Democrats, not Republicans, but Democrats, say they're concerned about his age and they wish they had somebody else to choose from. So despite all that, uh, you did not see a willingness on the part of of, of team player-type Democrats like Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, uh, you know, Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania. You didn't see any of these people willing to take on the president of their own party, like uh, Robert Kennedy and Gene McCarthy did in 1968 running against Lyndon Johnson. That's a big deal. Or Teddy Kennedy did it running against uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, in 1980. It's a big deal, and nobody on the Democratic side really wanted to do that and take that on. So here you have Biden with a clean shot to the nomination. With regard to Trump, he's leading Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is, has imploded. This campaign has imploded. He, it
1: really has, yeah.
2: He has, he has the, the, the curse of the Republican governor from Florida curse. You know, poor Jeb Bush, who I had a lot of respect for. I liked Jeb a lot. He showed us, Jeb Bush and Ron DeSantis both showed us how you can blow through $100 million yeah. in donations. Well, and, and Ruben. And only see your
1: standing tall on a pole. They're both dry as can be, and they're not perf- yeah. he, he's not performing well, similar to Jeb, on stage. Yeah. His wife, uh, uh, this is not an insult to her, this is great for her. She's the charismatic one, whereas he's, a he's one. not. Yeah, he's he the is, one
2: you want to go
1: see. <laughs> he has lost the, I have to ask you real quick, since he's been doing so yeah. bad in the polls. On Thursday night, Sean Hannity is hosting a debate between DeSantis and your governor in California, Gavin Newsom. How do you think that will fare? Will it help DeSantis? Could it be a big liability for him? Because quite frankly, Newsom is pretty damn good on TV, especially in comparison to DeSantis. And I haven't seen him debate. I'm sure you have. I'm worried for DeSantis in that matchup, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I think Gavin Newsom would win that. I also think there'll be a lot of pressure on Hannity and on Fox News not to show favoritism to DeSantis, which won't be a problem because Fox News has pretty much divorced themselves, uh, Rupert Murdoch in particular, from DeSantis. You've seen the same story as I did, they, I have, that they used to be DeSantis' chief benefactor and, bol- and, and booster, but no longer. Uh, Rupert Murdoch has been shopping around for another candidate for some time. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of favoritism toward DeSantis, and I think you're right that Newsom will do very well. But I got to tell you, if you're Gavin Newsom, you wish you could go back in time and never ever propose this debate. The debate you would have proposed was Gavin Newsom would have said, "I want to debate Nikki Haley." Yeah. Because Nikki Haley is on the upswing; she's peaking at just the right mm-hmm. moment. This, this is going to be a nothing debate because you talk about like stepping on baby chicks. I mean, what? Where's the where's the sport <laughs> in fighting Ron DeSantis at what? this point? This is a guy who is now tied in the polls with yeah. Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley is on her way up, and Shazanzas is on his way down.
1: You're making the great point in part also because Nikki Haley, say what you will, there are listeners who don't like Haley. Fine. Say what you will about her politics, policy, whatever. She's been cleaning up in those last few debates. And I think oh, she's yeah. going to do very well, what is it next week when they have the, the fourth and final one by News Nation that's conducting Megan Kelly actually making a return to the debate moderator stage. And yeah, I right. think that would have been a much more interesting debate to watch, and that's why I think this could be a death nail potentially for DeSantis. If he doesn't bring it, it's do or die. it, it can either be a wash for him or it can hurt him. I don't think he's going to benefit.
2: I think the main takeaway for this is not that Haley is beating DeSantis uh, and now just tied with him and give, give her a week. She'll be ahead of him uh, and he'll be down at six percent you know, and she'll be above. But uh, it's not just because she has foreign policy experience. He doesn't. He's the governor of Florida. You know, it's a dangerous world. I, I, I predicted that would have been an issue. It's not really the issue. The issue is Nikki Haley has these incredible people skills that Ron DeSantis is yeah. lacking. So teach your children well. Teach them. Yeah, they call Ron DeSantis the resume. Teach them that is not a Yale undergrad degree and a Harvard law degree and time in the military, and a House of Representatives and winning re-election. That's not the resume people care about. If you want to be successful, teach your kids people skills. Yeah, teach them how to communicate with their fellow human beings.
1: That's Ron DeSantis does so... not have that ability,
2: but Nikki Haley really does.
1: Extremely important, especially post-COVID, for any parents because of the social skills that a lot of kids lost during that uh, let's talk about the broader field here is an admonition last week from Hugh Hewitt Hugh you speak with the American people every day do these endorsements move the needle yes they do in Iowa Bob Vander
2: Plaats is probably the most influential non-elected political activist in the United States every time that there's a Republican primary there combined with the governor there that's a big one-two punch for Governor DeSantis but the reality is if there's more than one contender Among Governors DeSantis and Christie and Ambassador Haley come South Carolina or Florida, then former President Trump is effectively one. They can't go into Florida. With more than one candidate, and and Mr. Ramaswamy doesn't really matter in this calculation. If the field doesn't consolidate, I don't see how Donald
1: Trump isn't the nominee. And then yesterday, Karl Rove offered some insights on how there could actually be a meaningful race to prevent Trump from getting the nomination. The
3: first first one is Trump wins Iowa, and he's got more than 50% of the vote. If that's the case against this field, it's going to be very problematic from then on. But I don't think that's likely. He's polling it in the Iowa poll at 43, and of that 43, 29 of the 43 say, my mind is made up, I'm for Trump. But 14 say, I'm for Trump, but I'm open to voting for somebody else. More likely is Trump comes in first, and but under 50%. And and with a strong second. If there's somebody who comes out of the pack and emerges as a strong a strong second, as Gary Hart did in nineteen eighty four on the Democratic side, then we got a horse race.
1: Of course, Gary Hart, former senator from Colorado. Um, let's go to you, Ruben Navaretti. You heard Hewitt, you heard Rove. What do you think?
2: I, you know, I I hope I wish Rove was correct that you'd have a horse race. I don't see how you have much of one. You know, to, to think that you are 60 points ahead of your nearest competitor, as President Trump is in multiple polls, in a dozen polls, uh, and the fact that his his stock only gets higher, he only becomes more popular the more he's attacked. Um, it, it really, the Republicans who ran against Trump really didn't have a place to stand. They didn't know what to do. Should they mimic uh, uh, Trump like Rebecca Ramaswamy did? And then people will shrug and say, well, then why not just vote for the real thing? You know, why vote for you? I'm going to vote for Trump. And then, or do you oppose him as if, as uh, Issa Hutchinson did? You see how far that went. Uh, so this has been very, very difficult. It's been very tricky to be a Republican running against Trump. And though people like Carl Rove and I would love to see a horse race because we want to keep it interesting, it's very difficult to see, you know, what's who's the other horse in this race. Um, I hope it comes down to a a nice, you know, tight battle between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. And it might, it might well. But it's uh, – I, I, I think see, the choice is pretty clear. If Republicans dominate Nikki Haley, they put the Democrats back on their heels.
1: See, here, here's, here's the thing is when you look at state by state, you can look at national polls, but yep, it really yep. comes down to what happens in these states. Nikki Haley needs to prove that she's capable of bringing it to Trump. And if she does that, potentially – this is all hypothetical, and obviously Trump's still the favorite – but hypothetically, she could clear the field of other rivals and then be able to be that anti-Trump or at least non-Trump lane for Republicans. And you talk about Nikki Haley and what she could bring in a general. For a moment, Karl Rove on a fresh face. Hey,
3: look, Donald Trump and Joe Biden may be two sides of, of, uh, you know, of, of the same coin. They may be the only person uh, that, to be nominated by their party who could lose to the other guy. Uh, it, it is clear whichever party figures out that they put a fresh face into the contest, they have a leg up in the election. Um, that's 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 you know, we'll see if anybody's smart enough to pick up. One. I think he's got a point there, Ruben. Navarrete.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. Les. I hope that there is much more much more contest here. Nikki Haley has got to do something that all Republicans have been reluctant to do. He's got to, She's got to make the case that the country cannot afford another Trump presidency. I'll give you one quick example of this that just came up in a lunch I just had. Um, Americans should realize we've never been more grateful to be a part of NATO. When Russia invaded Ukraine, think about what that scenario would look like if we didn't have NATO. And the very fact that President Trump was so cavalier about threatening to pull out of NATO, uh, you know, thank goodness he, that didn't happen. Thank goodness he wasn't successful at that. Nikki Haley can make this argument. Nikki Haley can say, look, this is a very serious world we live in. Donald Trump is not up to this challenge. I am. I understand the power of alliances. The reason we're getting hostages out of of Gaza is because Qatar is helping negotiate and broker that. So you got to believe, well, everybody likes to see John Wayne and, you know, let's go in there and tell everybody where this is going to be. The, The fact is, as Nikki Haley understands, you need to have some element of cooperation with the world. And I'm sorry, Donald Trump is a lone wolf. He doesn't believe in that. He's never believed in that. He had a tor- terrible foreign policy, and, uh, and he just burned every single bridge he crossed.
1: Wow. Dissecting Trump's policies can be a discussion for another time. But Ruben Navarrete, we shall see what happens. I have one final thing that I want to share with you, just to kind of get your reaction, given our journalistic conversations from before. As you know, I have done extensive coverage of a now outgoing school board member. He's about to be officially off the board when a new board is sworn in this Friday because he decided not to run for reelection. Tay Anderson— Uh, He has been controversial. Thank goodness he's going out the door. And I've certainly reported a lot on him. And it was interesting, a couple weeks back, not quite, I went to the last school board meeting that they had with this current board that's going out, three people being replaced, including Tay Anderson. And I got an interesting shout out because I was highlighting how he was going on really vacations under the guise of taxpayer funded conferences going massively over budget and here 's what he said, Reuben
2: I have been able to travel across America, yes, Jimmy, across
1: America, sharing the great work that
0: have that we have been doing
1: <laughs> that we have been doing i 'm just curious your thoughts as a columnist when you have somebody that you cover a good bit, and he's literally looking back at you because you're in the room to cover the meeting and says something like that. What's your takeaway? I think it's it's good
2: for the ego. Uh, I think that you can't do this job if you don't have a healthy ego. Um, but I, I think it also is, is uh, it can be a little confusing in terms of your proper role. I think that one of the best relationships, uh, you know, for journalism was Mike Royko going after Mayor Daley in Chicago. It's a proper role of a columnist is to get under the skin of the powerful. You know, And journalists, our, our creed in journalism is comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. But I'll tell you, on a, on a personal note, I once heard that the district attorney in Dallas County referred to me to a lawyer discussing me, I wasn't around, called me his nemesis, okay, his nemesis. Now, think about that for a second. On the one hand, it's probably inappropriate for a district attorney to refer to a columnist and a newspaper as his nemesis. I could let that go to my head and say, well, you know, I'm flattered that the most powerful attorney in the county thinks I'm his nemesis. But the question is, should I see him that way? And the answer is no.
1: Absolutely. I really
2: feel like he can see me as his nemesis, but where all is lost and where you all should stop reading me Mm -hmm. is when I begin to see myself as his nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. Because the job has got to be bigger than just running that guy out of office.
1: To me, it is all about, and it will go on with other people who are in elective office, and maybe him, if he's elected to the state house as he's running, who knows? It is about exposing corruption it is about exposing yeah, inappropriate yeah. and i mean uh, tomorrow i criticized the colorado republican party and and uh, ron hanks former u.s senator uh senate candidate not u.s senator thank goodness uh, for something that that he was doing in election stuff so you know it's about calling balls and strikes and and uh and making sure yep, people are are aware of what's happening and uh if that gets under somebody's yeah. skin it's just what happens right yeah, and here's, I
2: think, a good model to live by. Take journalism seriously, but never yourself. Yeah, right. And when, when you have journalists and columnists who begin to take themselves too seriously, that's when they thats when they say, you know what, I should run for president. Yep. Imagine oh the ego on Pat Buchanan <laughs> in 1992 where he decides it's not enough to write a nationally syndicated column and have a television show on CNN. Yeah. No, I've got to run for president. At that point, Katie barred the door.
1: Yeah, Reuben, I could tell you this. I really. I've thought about it for years and as time goes by, I more and more prefer being uh, doing the kinds of things that I'm doing to running for office. So that will not be me. <laughs> Reuben Navarrete, a syndicated columnist. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Great happy holidays to you. Great Jimmy. discussion. You as well. Once again, Check out Ruben Navarrete's podcast, Ruben in the Center, and the Navarrete Nation Substack column, where you can get it right to your email inbox, I think weekly, certainly multiple times a month. 303-696-1971. Went really long with Ruben, but what a great conversation. The other side, we might have a couple of minutes for a call or text to come on in. Keep it right here. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk, 710 KNUS. Wrapping up and winding down, it's Monday. I'm back the rest of the week, 3 to 4. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. My thanks again to Ruben Navarrete, syndicated columnist, for spending extra time with us. That was a fascinating conversation. I have an interesting text here. Happy belated turkey day, Jimbo. (laughs) <laughs> Ain't kids super smart these days. I don't know what this is, who this is by, how many kids were involved. He get he sends a, a picture of a map of the United States with writing in there that shows where states are, what's supposed to be located in this these locations. And up in the north midwest, you have right. In the smack dab. in the It's the Colorado cluster. Five states where it's question mark, North Dakota, South Dakota. You have all these question marks where it says, is this Colorado, Colorado, Colorado? <laughs> it's just, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's something else. I think it's just a reminder about the importance of good quality education. You know, it is really interesting, too, talking with Ruben about journalism, talking with him about what it is today, what it means, the significance of it. I wonder how many folks in journalism resonate at all with what Ruben is saying, or if their project— even if they are ostensibly reporters who are straight down to the center and they are not going to shine their bias, but they really are biased. If they actually have any sort of vision like that, we want you to think, we want to expose facts, we want you to draw your conclusion. Now, I have a goal partially for persuasion when I do in my writing. Radio is a different animal. But in what I do in my writing persuasion is a piece of it but really what i want and i'm thinking about this more as ruben and i were talking to expose things others aren't exposed to or exposing and get you thinking okay there's a story here there's something worth watching this is wrong or maybe it's wrong i want to look into it a little bit more i think it's worth covering and lead you to your own conclusion that maybe will agree with me maybe you don't I have a lot of folks who read and send me an email same thing here on the radio who will express their big-time disagreements no way you are wrong dastardly how could you you racist you sexist you this and that whatever it is it will come in or you rhino sometimes Oh, my goodness. This time has flown by. We're back tomorrow, 3 p.m. The commander of the USS Cole, Kirk Lipold, will join us. Have a great one. God bless America.